Also, for those that need a copy of the prayer sheet, make sure and get that before you go tonight, okay? But Lord, I thank you as we enter in tonight to the word of the Lord. I thank you for an open heaven, your presence here. Holy Spirit, as you come to anoint and empower this time. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being in our midst. And Father, your eyes for every shining countenance upon us. I thank you for hearing us in the prayers over the word tonight as you speak through me. Everything that needs to be spoken and, Lord, as you give us good soil of hearts and minds and lives, your Holy Spirit moves upon us to help us, Lord, to tune in and lock into what you're saying. And we thank you for hearing answering the prayers, Lord, over this time. And everything will be accomplished. Everything said that your will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so I've entered into a new sermon series on the Harvest Cycles. And, of course, this will dovetail very well into the fall feast. So a couple things tonight, just to recap from last week, is number one, the yearly harvest cycle. And so God always intended for his feast to be connected to the three major harvests throughout the year. So at the very first of the year in the Bible was during the spring, okay? And the very first month that we now call Nisan, and the Bible is called Abib. Anyway, in that first month was Passover, and that was the time of the barley harvest. So that was the first harvest. And then right after that, 50 days later, was Pentecost, and that was when you had the wheat harvest. And then you go through a long summer and move into the fall, and the fall had to do with tabernacles, and that feast was... Uh, connected to the harvest of things like grapes and olives and nuts and things like that. But obviously the emphasis being on the grapes. So those were the three major feasts and the three major harvests that took place in Israel. And so God always intended that the feast would be connected to seeing him as their provider. And so that's why the Lord was so angry at not just the worship of other gods and idolatry, that angers the Lord in a general sense, obviously, but specifically the worship of Baal was very atrocious because the worship of Baal, Baal was seen as a provider. He was seen as the one that would bring the rain and cause the harvest to come in. So if you found favor with Baal through Baal worship, then he would be your provider, you see. And that was very much an affront to the Lord and his relationship with Israel. So just to help give a little bit about that, also the rain seasons. Because you read in the Bible about the former and the latter rains. So in the fall, early winter time was the early rains. And so the farmers would be plowing, they get their seed in the ground, and that initial rain, they were called the early rains, they would come. And that's why, for example, at the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up and said, anybody that's thirsty, come to me. You remember that? Well, the reason why he was saying that, it was quite interesting because he stood up on the Feast of Tabernacles, but on that great last day of it, okay, Hoshana Rabbah, the last day of the feast, he stood up and said that. But while he was saying that, what would have been common knowledge during this time was that the priests were having um, all these different people in the priesthood, the Levites, bring these buckets of water, and they were pouring them out there as an act of worship to God, but they were asking the Lord to send the rain. Isn't that interesting? And so Jesus stood up in the midst of that. This is common knowledge among Bible theologians that Jesus did this, but he stood up right there while the priesthood is pouring out water, buckets of water, I mean gallons and gallons of water, and they're saying the Lord, through that, they're saying the Lord is the provider of the rain, and we're asking you, Lord, your blessing on us to send rain. And so Jesus stood up in the midst of that while a bunch of water was being poured out in their praying, and he said, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Isn't that interesting? And also I find it interesting in the book of Zechariah when Jesus comes, it's, there's a reference in there 
that says all that come to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, that God would send his rain on them. Isn't that interesting? But those that refuse to come and are rebellious, God would withhold the rain. That's interesting. So during the millennial reign of Christ, obviously all these feasts are going to be kept, um, but there's a specific reference to the Feast of Tabernacles connected to God sending his reign, okay? All right, just moving on from this, I wanted to share a little bit because years ago, my wife and I have always been tithers, I mean, the entire time we were married and before we were married. And so tithing's always been a, a big part of our lives. And I don't talk a lot about finances from the pulpit, really, but finances is an important part of all of our lives, isn't it? If we just be honest, I mean, we have bills to pay, groceries to buy. And all of us have to think on a daily basis to some extent about finances. And there is a lot in the Bible about finances, and I believe that tonight you'll find this really interesting. I'm not going to get into too deep with all of it in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul talking about if you sow generously that you'll reap generously. And there's a lot of references where Jesus said if you're a giver, he says as you give, he said pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be given back to you? So there is a lot of teaching in the New Testament about finances and about being a cheerful, generous giver. The Lord loves a cheerful, generous giver, okay? But I want to show you more of the pattern that God laid out in the Old Testament. And there's actually a lot more to finances than just being a tither. And I felt God laid on my heart to study this, and as I did, I found that there are seven major areas of giving in the Bible. And it boils down to being led by the Lord about what, how much and when and things like that, just being led by the Spirit. But there are seven different categories, all of them distinct from one another, which is very interesting. Because a lot of people have never even been taught that there's a difference between the first fruits and the tithe, but there's a big difference. And I'm going to share a little bit about that. So as we're looking at this tonight, I'm gonna, then I'm going to dovetail Lord willing into about the rapture and that being the first fruits, if you will, but I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, so let me just read this. According to Jewish tradition, talking about first fruits, okay, not tithe, it's not the same thing, first fruits, that the first of the crops referred particularly to the seven species that were in the promised land. Did you know that there were seven different species that were referenced in regards to entering the promised land. And they are this, barley, wheat, grapes, figs, pomegranates, olives, and dates. And just as a side note, whenever you've thought about a land flowing with milk and honey, how many have thought about honey being like honey bees? How many have thought that? Most people, I know you have. All right, well, the honey that's referred to there is not really from the honey bee because that would have been, you know, pretty sparse. I mean, they you would have had to go out in the woods and stumble upon some type of a beehive. Really, what the land flowing with honey was, was from dates. It's called date honey. And to this day, there's that's a big export out of Israel, date honey. And it's delicious. Also, uh, let me continue to read. As soon as a Jewish farmer saw the first sign of ripening fruit in his field or his orchard, he would tie some type of a string to that area and designate it as the first fruits. Now, I encourage you on your own to do a study about this, but Paul said this, if the first fruits are holy, then the rest is made holy. So there's a principle of first fruits. And also, if you read the book of Proverbs, those that give of a first fruits, it says your barns and vats would overflow. So the first fruits is a powerful principle in scripture. Anyway, so the farmer, when he saw that there were first fruits, and it's not just limited to that, but also God wanted the first. So he expected that the firstborn 
of every person, the firstborn, was dedicated to him and had to be redeemed. And not only that, the firstborn of all the animals that they kept belonged to the Lord. So you either had to redeem it or you had to take it to the temple as an offering. But all of the first and the best belonged to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? And so anyway, the farmer would tie something to that tree branch or to the, some part of the field, and he would designate that as Bikurim, which is the first fruits. Later, he would pick that as the best samples and put them in a basket. There was a special basket that they would have woven of maybe gold and silver, and the poor would use wicker baskets from willow branches, but they would set off to the tabernacle to present the offering at the sanctuary. The first fruits were designated to the sons of Aaron, but later, this is what a lot of people don't know, later when the harvest came in, they would gather in their harvest at the end of the harvest, and they would separate a tenth of that as unto the Lord, and they would give that to the local Levites. That was different. So just follow me because this is pretty simple principle here. The first fruits was at the beginning of the harvest and would be taken to the temple and would be given to the priesthood. And it was the first and best of the land that went to the priest specifically. There were local Levites that lived usually in those cities of refuge, but people then at the end of the harvest time, and they saw all that came in, they would set apart a tenth of that unto God, and they would take that to the local Levites. And the Levites, of course, it met their needs, but they also then would store a lot of it, and they would give it to the poor, which was their responsibility to oversee that. So these were two completely different things. All right, so Jewish writings also go on to describe this scene. So just picture this in regards to first fruits. It would describe Jewish farmers placing their baskets on oxen adorned with garlands of flowers in a grand parade to the sanctuary. They would be heading to the tabernacle or the, later the temple. The oxen would be taken with them, but later would be sacrificed as a peace offering once they got there. The pilgrims would pass through various towns along their journey to Jerusalem, and they would be accompanied by others who wished to rejoice with them in Zion. And you can read about bringing their first fruits to the Lord. Now, because Passover, the emphasis was so much on the Passover lamb, people could bring their first fruits at Passover, but many times what they would do is they would come to Jerusalem at Passover and they would celebrate Passover there. But most, the overwhelming majority of the first fruits would come in at Pentecost. And so Pentecost, in, in Hebrew is called Shavuot, that became known not only as that feast of, of Shavuot, but it also became synonymous with people bringing their first fruits of their barley and their wheat to the temple. And then on that day the, of uh, Shavuot, they would also wave before the Lord two loaves that had leaven in them. And it represented, most people agree with this, I do, it represented the Jew and the Gentile together, but the priest would wave two loaves before the Lord. So anyway, this became known as the Feast of first fruits, even though it wasn't. That, that during Passover... It was what, Passover, unleavened bread, and then first fruits, right? But people began to associate the Feast of Pentecost with bringing the actual first fruits to the temple. Now, that's important, and I'll get to some of that later. But as I began to study out the different areas of giving in the Bible, I talked to my wife, and we began to practice this. I said, you know, I want to do every one of these categories, I want us to be doing this. And so we made it a point, and we still do, to give in every one of these categories as a lifestyle. And since we started doing that, my wife will tell you, we noticed a dramatic, and I use that word dramatic on purpose because it was very significant change. We noticed a very significant change relatively quickly in our finances. In fact, we could go back, and we did recently talking about 
because we had received a letter that talked about finances over the, like the last 10, 15 years or so. But when we started applying all of these principles, we noticed that our yearly income increased during that time. So I'm going to give you these. Again, the tithe, let me just say this first. Your tithing is your 10% that you make. It's gross, not net, but your 10% you make that you, that you tithe that to the Lord. And that really should go where you're getting fed spiritually. So if that's here, then the, okay, that's where you're getting spiritually fed. But some people that listen to our podcast or watch us on YouTube or whatever, you have a home church and that's where you get fed. Maybe you just listen to our sermons here and there. You know, if you want to give an offering as God leads you, that's, that's appreciated. But really, your tithe should go to your home church, okay? And they depend on that to pay the bills. But tithing is something that's a 10%. But let me give you the seven categories. Number one, the Lord taught Israel, do not glean the corners of your fields. You remember reading that? So whenever they went out into the, like the wheat field, you'd see all, the, all them out there with the sickle and they'd be cutting it and gathering up into bundles. They'd be bringing it in. They would, they would make sure that when they went out to the outer areas that they would leave that for the poor. And so people could come in and that were hungry and desperate and they were the poor in the land and they could walk through the outer part of somebody's field and they could cut that down and take it home and their, their needs would be met. So in a practical sense, do you, how many have read the book of Ruth? Do you remember how Ruth and Naomi were financially struggling and they went to Boaz's house and what happened? She knew that she could go there and she could glean the corners of the fields. But Boaz had, had she had found favor with Boaz. So he said to his foreman, he said, you make sure when that woman's out there gleaning the corners of the fields that nobody messes with her. And then he said, number two, he said, don't just let her just glean the corners of the field. I want some of you guys that you have some of your men out there on purpose throwing some out for her and leave it for her. So in a practical sense, what, how could we, because nobody in the sound of my voice most likely is a farmer and this is going to be something that you can literally do right now so how would you practically apply this to your life well i believe it's when you see your brother or sister in need around you that you you just simply help take care of them and i remember a good example of this years ago we would meet a lot at that local denny's over here and we would come together as a church family and i remember there was a lady she's since died how many remember kelly most of you were here during that time okay well she was poor and she worked there and and she had kind of had a difficult life but i remember that she had different needs that came up and one time i remember that her glasses had broke or something she really needed glasses and i don't remember who all was involved but i was really proud of some people that simply had bought her some glasses and see that's in a practical sense that is letting somebody glean the corners of your fields you see you see somebody in need and then you help meet the need of the poor all right the second category is first fruits and this is your first and best and so this is not your tithe so how can you practically give a first fruits what can be something like this first of the month first of the year that maybe you give a special offering to the lord above your tithe that's a first fruits offering and what about something like this what if you start a new job and your first paycheck that you give the lord at like a first fruits offering now think about what i'm saying this between you and the lord but if the first fruits are holy the rest is holy and i believe this that if you give a first fruits it brings a blessing on the rest of it all right, and then the third area is the tithe, and that's your 10% that you give. Now, the fourth area, this is interesting, and this is for those that feel like the feast times are significant to you and your family. Not everybody feels that way, but Paul taught us in Romans and in other places like Colossians that some people will consider a day sacred while another person may not. But how many knows Paul taught us to respect one another and love one another, okay? 
But if you consider times like Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, and we, we do here in River of Life as being a special time that you uh, celebrate before the Lord, and we do that here, then one of the things in a practical sense you can do would be to put some money aside. And, and during among the Hebrew culture, this is called a second tithe, but you're putting money aside so that you can celebrate those things with your family. Like, for example, here in River of Life, we come together at Passover, and we have an illustrated sermon of the Lord's Last Supper, which was a Passover meal. Everybody seems to love it. I've had a lot of positive feedback, and I've had through the years a lot of people invite others to come, and people have told me multiple times how much they learned about the scriptures and how much they got out of it and how much of a blessing it was to them. But see, it took a little extra finances to put that on. So if you're going to do that at home, um, it's, it is a principle in the Word of God to set apart some finances for that. Uh, but anyway, that's number four. Number five, this is what's called Musaf in Hebrew, a special offering. And this is what we do, especially connected to the conferences. <laughs> So we always have a Pentecost and a, and a tabernacle time. We have a conference we put on. And how many have enjoyed the conferences? They're powerful. All right, so Musaf is this. In the book of Deuteronomy 16, 16, it says, three times appear before me and don't come empty-handed. And so this is a special offering associated with the feast times. And so when people give, for example, right now we're going into the fall feast, and I tell people, if you want to sow into that, John Davis taught us sowing into the glory. Amen. But if you want to sow into that time, we always put it aside and we use it for the conference that we do in the fall. But that is a special offering connected to the fall feast. Okay. Now, the sixth area is called Zedaka, and it means like an alms to the poor. Now, if you want to have God's blessing on your finances, regard the poor. Not just first fruits and tithes, but regard the poor. And I want to just simply commend those that I noticed that as offerings come in, uh, those that counted and all of that, they usually let me know X amount came in for the poor. And then we send out what came in for the poor. We have ministries that minister to the poor, and we send that to them. But I want to commend those that do that because I know whenever it comes in, I always say to myself, those individuals are going to be very blessed in their finances. And let me tell you that that means a lot to God that you regard the poor. And so I'll give you some scriptures just off the top of my head, but Proverbs says those that give to the poor lend to the Lord and will not be without, without their reward. And then Psalm 41, that's a big one. It says if you regard the poor, you're counted among the blessed of the land. You're not given over to the desires of your enemies. The Lord's with you to deliver you out of trouble, and he'll raise you up out of a sickbed. Think about those promises. How many would agree with pastor here that those are some significant promises? And that goes along with widows and orphans. In the Bible, God always says in the book of James that true religion is you will minister to the widows and the orphans and the poor, right? So this is important to God. And so if anybody above your tithe ever want to add to that, a gift to bless the poor, and, and I'm going to say with that here in a moment, the, the nation of Israel, just put that on there because it's counted as separate. We set it apart. And I'm thankful for those that do it through the church because I believe it brings a blessing on the church that we're doing that. Does that make sense tonight? All right. And then also, uh, let me add this. Blessing the nation of Israel. If you'll bless Israel, the Lord said that you will be blessed. But it also says if you curse Israel, you'll be cursed. All right, so that's number six. So number seven is just free will offerings. In a very practical sense, there are times that the church has needs and things come up. And I'm thankful River of Life has always been a giving church, 
but that God blesses us that whenever needs come up, people give free will offerings to help the church. All right. So with that said tonight, I want to talk about first fruits of the barley. How many learned something during that that maybe you haven't heard before? Uh, that really changed our lives. We started making sure that we were giving in all those different areas, and God really blessed us. All right. So now I want to dovetail that into the first fruits of the barley, but now in a spiritual sense. So 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. It says this, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Isn't that interesting? The first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. For since by a man, talking about Adam, came death, by a man, talking about Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all may be made alive. But each in his own order. Now, pay attention to that phrase, each in his own order. So there is a order of this. Number one, Christ the first fruits. Christ was the first to raise from the dead. After that, those who are at Christ's coming, that's the rapture. Then comes the end when he hands the kingdom over to God the Father. And that's talking about the new heaven and the new earth. Okay? when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. Is this making sense tonight? Just look this way and give me your best ear tonight. This is important. But Christ, our first fruits, okay? In order, Christ was the first to raise from the dead. Then the rapture where the dead in Christ will rise. And then at the end will be the end of all things, Okay. All right, then look at Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The, look at this. The tombs were opened and many bodies of dead saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Isn't that interesting? So when Christ, our first fruits, raised from the dead, his death, burial, and resurrection, okay, during that time frame, Actually, there was so much resurrection power in Christ's death and resurrection that literally tombs were open and there were people that came out of them and walked through Jerusalem and were seen. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, they became very frightful and said, truly, this was the Son of God. In 1 Corinthians four sixteen, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you may not grieve as do the rest that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. But the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So this Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. This happened during the barley harvest. Do you remember what I talked about last week? The barley harvest is a gentle harvest, and it's connected, connected to the rapture. It's the throwing, the barley's tossed up. It's a tossing up, a catching up, and the wind separates the chaff, and there's a separation that's happening. I mean, there are those that are being separated right now that are truly going to give themselves fully to the Lord, and they're going to be ready to be caught up with the Lord. But first, in the order, Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection. But now, what's going to happen at the rapture is the rapture is actually the first fruits of those that are going to be raised from the dead, if you will. Does that make sense? So, this is the barley harvest time. 
Now, during this time of the barley harvest, the yeast was purged out. And so you see things like this in 1 Corinthians 5, 6. It says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Therefore, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, talking about Passover, to a Gentile church, mind you. Not with old leaven, but with leaven, but with the leaven, no, I'm sorry, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Christ was the first fruits, but this rapture is going to be the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. Okay, is this making sense tonight? And it's going to be this, in order of things, Christ was first and then we that are alive and remain are going to be caught up, but there's this first fruits of the resurrection of the dead that at the end is going to be completed whenever Jesus comes back, okay? In the same way, this is getting ahead of myself, okay? But next week, I hope to talk about the wheat harvest but the first fruits of the wheat harvest is going to be what? The 144,000. And then it's going to be the tribulation saints after that. Is this making sense? So there's a, there's a principle of the first fruits and then the rest of the harvest, okay? And then purity leads to intimacy in Luke 24, 28. And they approached the village. This is the road to Emmaus. They approached the village where they were going and he acted as though he was going farther because Jesus was walking with some disciples and he was speaking to them about the things that had through the scriptures, how Christ was revealed through the whole scriptures. But they urged him, they didn't know it was the Lord. They urged this man to stay with them for he was, um, looked like he was going to leave them and it was getting toward the evening and the day is nearly over. So he went to stay with them and when he had reclined at the table, he took bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he gave it to them. Now, this would have been unleavened bread because this was at the time of the barley harvest. And when, they, when he broke bread with them, their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those that were with him, saying, The Lord is really risen. And he appeared to Simon, and they began to relate their experiences on the road and how they recognized him at the breaking of bread. And so um, also Hebrews 11.5, it says this, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before he was being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And we know that Genesis 5.22 says, Enoch walked with God 300 years, and after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. But it says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He was raptured. And so I'm trying to encourage people with this during this, this Harvest Cycles sermon series that I'm doing, that there is a first fruits. And God wants us to be among those that are ready to be a part of that first initial harvest in these last days. What's going to happen is this. The first harvest is going to be a first fruits, and it's going to be the rapture. It's the resurrection. That's why the rapture must happen, and it's so important, because it is literally a resurrection of the dead. All those that were dead in Christ are going to be raised up out of their graves. How many have heard teaching on this? This is important, and I don't think a lot of people know this. But Christ raised from the dead physically in a physical body. It was a glorified body, but he raised from the dead. And just as in Adam all died in Christ, in Christ, if you're his, all will be made alive. And it says at the rapture that those that are dead in Christ, I mean, up to 2,000 years they've been in the ground, dead, are going to be raised to new life, okay? And though, I know that right now they're with the Lord, their spirit is with the Lord, but at the resurrection of the dead, 
they are going to be given that glorified body. Their bodies are going to be raised to new life in Christ, okay? Let me give it to you this way. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, you're born again in your spirit, and then your soul area has to go through a process of renewal and change, and the life of God goes into your personality, your emotions, your thinking. How many are different now than you were before Christ in the way you think and act, amen? But you're still going to die, and so your physical body goes into the tomb, but the final process of your completed salvation is not just being with the Lord in heaven alone, but it's that your physical body will be raised from the dead, glorified and given back to you. And so God, when you accept Christ as your Savior, your spirit is made alive. Then secondly, your soul is made alive by being renewed and transformed. But in the end, God's going to raise your body to new life. Okay? So that's the first fruits of this barley harvest is a, listen, the barley, when you think of that, think of unleavened because it's Passover. It's supposed to be without sin. That's why the Bible says God's coming for a bride without spot or blemish. And just like the barley, the wind separates the chaff. If we will yield to the Holy Spirit, God will blow out of our lives the junk that needs to go. And we will be ready for this, this barley harvest, if you will, of the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead, that we will be caught up to be with him and ever be with the Lord. And so this is the way I see it and understand it after many, many years, decades of study, is that when Jesus comes, he's going to be a meeting in the air. His feet do not touch the earth until when he comes a second time. But it's a meeting in the air, and it's going to be like a thief in the night. It's a suddenly... It's like the blink of an eye. Those that are ready will be caught up to be with him. But the only ones that are going to be ready are those that have yielded to the Holy Spirit. There's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's been happening. God's about to send another major wave. If we get in on these revivals and let God sanctify us and purge us and just do a deep work in us and get all the junk out, we will be ready to be caught up. But I say this in love, and I've, I've pastored for many years. I mean, I've been in the ministry for decades. And some, some people really yield to the Lord, and they change. And I've seen them radically transform, but there's always some that never really change. How many, how many have seen that in church? You love them, but they seem to still be manipulative and controlling, or they're still prideful or whatever it is about them, they never really truly change. And let me just warn you that the barley harvest are for those that will fully yield to the Holy Spirit and get all that junk out of our lives. It is not for everyone. It's for the overcomer. It's for the bride that has made herself ready. And those that have allowed the Holy Spirit to purge them, they're going to be ready when the Lord comes like a thief in the night. It's going to be a suddenly. And then once they're gone, then that's like the first fruits of the barley harvest, right? Then you're going to deal now with the wheat harvest. And the wheat harvest has to be crushed. So they're going to go through the crushing of the tribulation time. But the first fruits of that wheat harvest is the 144,000 Jews that God sets apart for that time. But there's going to be many tribulation saints that die during that time. And see, the way I see it and understand it is the barley harvest crowd are going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But the wheat harvest tribulation saints are going to be those that are just going to be under the altar. They made heaven, but they really missed out on a lot because they weren't ready for that marriage supper. How many have read that in the book of Revelation? It's just the way I see it. I could be wrong. But they're seen under the altar and they're given white robes and they're told to wait a little bit longer. And that's all wonderful that they're there. But I want to be ready when the Lord comes because I want to be able to be at that marriage supper of the Lamb. And I want to be a part of that first fruits. And that's going to be going on. That marriage supper is going to be going on during the seven-year tribulation. So those that are dying during the tribulation time are going to be caught up. But what's already going on at the marriage supper, they've already missed a lot of that activity. They didn't have to. How many knows God wants all of us to be ready at the rapture? But the problem is, is Matthew 25, 
there's half of the body of Christ in that parable. Half the virgins were ready and the other half weren't ready. What was the big difference? The oil. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. How many, let me just give a practical example. How many came in the river of life and God filled you with his spirit here and then you notice after you got filled with the Holy Spirit, you started noticing change in your life. I remember during the 90s revivals, man, God began to fill me with his spirit and all of a sudden God began to convict and really change me in a radical way. See, the more we're filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit, the more God's going to purify us through the Holy Spirit, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And then in the end, after the tribulation time, Jesus is going to come down and his feet are going to touch the earth. All eyes will see him. He's going to come to the nation of Israel. But hear what I'm saying, and this is really important. This will be the first fruits of the grape harvest. The grapes have endured the grapes of God's wrath, the judgment that came on the earth, a lot of death, a lot of destruction came. But there's going to be a third of the nation of Israel that will be preserved. And the Bible says that the angels will be sent out to go gather them unto Jesus. And that third of the Jews are going to look on him whom they've pierced. They're going to mourn. They're going to believe in him. And on that day, in that moment, what the apostle Paul predicted on that day, all of Israel will be saved. And it will be like life from the dead because then something's going to release out of Israel like, like when you drop a rock into a pond and it ripples throughout the earth. Something is going to release on that moment when Israel accepts the Messiah. It's going to hit and it's going to begin to go all over the world and there's going to be like a rolling off of the curse that came through Adam. And the earth is going to begin to experience like life from the dead. Death is going to roll back. And all of a sudden, people are going to start living hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But the first, I'm getting way off in the rabbit trail there. But the first fruits of the grape harvest is that third of Israel that God preserved. And then it's going to release out to the nations. Is this making sense? Isn't this interesting that God has chosen his feast days to be connected to the harvest and each harvest has the first fruits. But I believe that Enoch, I'm going to close with this, is a picture and type of those that are going to be raptured. Enoch walked with God and he was taken. I believe that there's a remnant out there that are willing to deal with things they need to deal with. And because God does a deep work in them and they're a bride without spot or blemish, that God is able to sanctify them and get them ready and fill them with extra oil and they're going to be caught away because like Enoch, they walked with God. So the, at the, the, the main message of the life of Enoch was this, to live holy but to live in a close relationship with the Lord. And as I close, I want to leave you with the words that Steve Hill spoke to me back in 2003 when we were able to spend some time together. He said, Scott, what has God been speaking to you lately? And he wanted me to think about this. If you're really truly the Lord's and you're walking with him like you're supposed to, Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. And so Steve was trying to teach me it's all about really truly knowing him and having a relationship with him. I believe that's what was the uh, difference between the wise and foolish virgins. The foolish virgins were born again, but they were not walking close with the Lord. They weren't filled with extra oil Maybe they were defiled in some ways, but they just weren't ready when the Lord comes. And then the door was shut and they were crying out. Can you imagine once the rapture happens, all of the Christians that were playing games that are going to be left behind. Can you imagine the, the foolish virgins? They're going to be knocking on heaven's door, man. Lord, they're going to be praying, crying out. All of a sudden, there's going to be a lot of fasting. There's going to be a lot of deep repentance. I guarantee you churches that had a low attendance, I guarantee you the next Sunday after the rapture, they're going to have a full house. But Jesus taught us that it's going to be too late for them to be raptured. They weren't ready. 
They were playing games, and they're going to be pounding on heaven's door. Lord, Lord, let us in. And Jesus is going to say, I never really knew you. You didn't. Basically, if I could paraphrase it, you were not ready. You were playing games. You were caught up too much with the things of this life. You didn't walk in intimacy with me. You didn't let me deal with your sin. You didn't let me fill you with extra oil. And therefore, you weren't ready when it was time to be ready. And so they're going to have to go through the wheat harvest process of being crushed. But and they, many of them will have to give their life for the Lord. But you know what? When you look in um, the book of Revelation, you see that they were many of them beheaded and they were brought into heaven, but they were under the altar. You know what the altar represents? An act of worship. So they gave their life as a living sacrifice in a literal sense to the Lord as an act of worship. And they were given white robes and, and, you know, they made it. But they made it the hard way instead of making it the easier way that God had planned, okay? And I want to be among those that's a part of the first fruits. How many can see that tonight as we go through this harvest cycle? There's the barley, the wheat, and the grapes. Did you know in the very end, in the grape harvest, that there's going to be people that survive the tribulation? Have you ever thought about that? There's going to be some that do. I, I don't believe it's going to be a large group. If I, if I had to estimate, it seems like maybe like a third of the earth's population. But they're going to survive it. And Jesus is going to gather first the first fruits of Israel to him. But then he's going to gather, listen to what I'm saying. He's going to gather the nations unto him. And he's going to separate sheep and goat nations. How many have read that? And the goat nations are going to be thrown into hell. But the sheep nations will be able to be with him in the thousand-year reign, and they're going to repopulate the earth. Now, let me give you a thought to blow your mind, and then we'll pray. There's going to be at the same time for that thousand-year reign those of us that are going to have glorified bodies that don't age. At the same time that we're on the earth, there's going to be people that don't have glorified bodies that are going to be aging, but in a very slow process like you saw back in the days of Adam. Isn't that crazy to think about? And Jesus is going to physically be on the earth. And people are going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to bring their offerings there and they're going to worship him. Isn't that awesome? It's going to be a very different time. But then just like Paul taught us, first Christ and then the resurrection of the dead. And then the very end is going to be when the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem comes down. And at that time, everybody is going to have a glorified body and God the Father is going to come down here and be with us forever. Isn't that awesome to think about? All right, so Lord, we thank you in the harvest cycles that we're looking at. As interesting as that is, and, and it's fun many times to kind of go deep in the word of God and, and study these things out, but I want to be a part of that early first fruits harvest that's connected to Jesus' resurrection of the dead, that we're ready when he comes to catch us away, that we're a part of that first fruits, if you will. Lord, we want to be among those that are caught away to meet you, and we want to be ready. And Lord, I thank you tonight as we close out in prayer that if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that needs to deal with things, Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit moving upon every person, Lord, to deal with their sin. Because I've seen through the years where some people maybe deal with different things, pride or rebellion or lust or idols, and they never really deal with it. They don't really want to deal with it. Every time God puts his finger on it, they get ticked off and they, they push back. They, they get out of church for a little while. They don't ever actually change. And the scary thing is some people over time get a pride issue about them where you, you can no longer talk to them or correct them any longer. They will not receive correction from you any longer. Used to, when they were humble, they would. But they got full of pride at some point, and you absolutely cannot talk to them any longer. They will get offended, and they will go run you down to other people, and they'll get an attitude, and they don't want to hear it. I don't know about you, but I want to be humble. I want to be correctable. I want God to do whatever I say, Lord, whatever you got to do in me, do it in me. 
And I just feel a warning for River of Life in the days to come. There is a, I feel this, I want you just to listen to me for a moment here as I say some things. Number one, I want to prophesy something to my wife back there. I want you to look at me for a second. There was a scripture where Ruth and Naomi, and I know that you know what I'm talking about when there was a man of God told you, don't worry about your kids. Remember that? The Lord told me to tell you this, that just like Ruth and Naomi, Ruth left everything and followed Naomi and said, your God's going to be my God. Your people, my people. Don't worry about things because you're going to see all of them cling to you and to your God. That's a word. That's a word from the Lord. Number two, I felt that. Number two, River of Life, be careful because do not, and I repeat, do not let some things creep in unaware. There's some very controlling, and I'm telling you, I feel it in the days to come. Do Be careful because there's some people that they act very spiritual, and if you listen to them, you think that they're spiritual, but I assure you they are not spiritual. There's a very controlling, manipulative type of spirit about them. It's a Jezebel spirit. They seem to be spiritual. They seem to have prophetic words. They seem to be prayer warriors. But I've seen this for years. They may claim to be some type of intercessor, some type of a prayer warrior, some type of a, they want to teach, they want to prophesy, they act spiritual. I assure you that they are not spiritual. It is as fake as the day is long. They have a fake spirit about them. And people can, I'm just telling you, be careful. Because if people start trying to control you, that should be a red flag right there. Do not let them control you. Break that control, walk away from it, and avoid them. Number two, I don't know why I'm saying all this, but there's some things. I feel this in my spirit. Also, be careful about that spirit of Leviathan. There's some very humble, sincere people that, you know, people are wrestling things. That's not your fault. I'm not talking about that. Be careful about people that are gossips, slanderers. They, they are arrogant. They have a problem with authority. Did everybody hear what I just said? They, they have a problem with authority. And they are prideful and they are rebellious. And they buck up against leadership. And they go around slandering leadership and speaking evil of leadership. Be careful. There's something down the road. Please hear me, River of Life. There's something that God is is about to do that's going to clear out some old things. And God's going to open up a new season. But you better believe that the devil is going to want to put tares around among the wheat. And those are the two groups of people that help me pray them out and that God keep them out because they are tares among the wheat. They're thorns. They're difficult. And if you don't deal with them, uh, they can be a major problem in the body of Christ. And many people come in and they may be very sincere and they deal with things and they humble themselves and they let God purge them. That's one thing. But I'm talking about people that have space to repent and they don't. Listen, I've pastored for a long time. And I'm telling you that I've known people for decades that never actually really changed. It's scary. But they never really changed. But I've also known, this is how God works. I've known people when they first came, I thought to myself, man, this person, God help them, you know. And then they ended up totally being transformed and, I mean, were totally different than what they first came in. Then I've known other people that seemed so promising. I thought to myself, wow, God's going to mightily, and they never changed and they ended up being a problem and God had to pass them by. Isn't that scary? But God knows the heart and he knows it from a, a deeper perspective than we do. That's why man will always choose a Saul but God will always choose a David. 